You'll notice it says part one at the top because as I was typing this stuff out, this is a little shorter than our, our normal classes have been, but I think somehow we'll make this work uh, for the class this morning. Uh, but I deleted like three, three more titles of bad guys that I think we'll just continue with next week. So uh, there's a lot, and we have many more Revelation classes, so we have plenty of time to discuss all of these things. Uh, <clears throat> there is a, a saying with uh, comic book heroes, with superheroes, that they're only as good as the, the villains that they're fighting. Uh, having a great superhero is one thing, but you need to have a compelling villain for them to fight against. And so, for uh, a lot of for a lot of heroes, uh, fans of those heroes get really excited over, you know, who's the villain in the movie, or uh, are they going to bring multiple villains together to come and face uh, the superhero? So we can watch the superhero win, but also because we like the the character of the bad guy sometimes. Uh, hopefully you don't like any of these bad guys that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, but throughout Revelation, we're given a bunch of bad guys, uh, a bunch of these enemies of the Christian, uh, of the church here, uh, that rise up against the Christians here at this time. <clears throat> and some of them are real-life people. Uh, we have Rome as an empire uh, just put as an enemy here of the kingdom of God, battle of kingdoms here. We also have uh, false teachings, ideologies that are presented as a bad guy. Uh, and then, of course, we have the mythical-sounding you know, beasts and dragon and all sorts of things uh, that are going on throughout Revelation. Those are some of the sections that give people the... Uh, uh, that people will take and just run with uh, to whatever application they want to go to. Uh, but that's where our focus is going to be, on the bad guys. Uh, a lot of the central part of the book uh, it features these individuals. We will start in chapter 2 of Revelation here in a minute. Uh, but a lot of the central part of the book uh, gives like a chapter to these things, uh, to each one of these things. Uh, but <clears throat> they're not at the end of the book. It's like what we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we should have outlines, I think, on the music stand over there about, uh, well, in fact, there's some right here, uh, about the word conquer throughout Revelation, which is important. We talked about how God, uh, how Christ conquers evil and how Christians through Christ conquer those things as well. So they're not at the end of the book because they lose, uh, but it is important to look at uh, the, the forces doing the persecuting here. Uh, in all of this. And again, there'll be a little bit of uh, connection to the lesson this, this Sunday morning. Uh, Tracy is supposed to teach next door, I think, but he wasn't there when the, the bell went off, so we may have just an influx of, uh, of people here in just a moment. So, Oh, great. Okay, never mind. Nobody else is coming in. This is, a, this is our class. If anybody does come in, that means they're late. And so instead of welcoming them, uh, shame them. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. We're, we're, glad, we're glad people are here, even if it's, if it's late. Okay, let's start with the first bad guy, which is not really a... Uh, it uh, is manifest through several different physical presences, but it's 
false teaching that becomes a problem. And it's highlighted throughout the letters written to the churches in chapters 2 through 3. I have those references written down for you, uh, but we'll get a number of uh, a number of false teachings taking place here. Ultimately, these false teachings end up in the same place. Sexual immorality, uh, taking advantage of other people, that sort of stuff. They all kind of end up in the same spot. That's just where those things go. Um, and... Uh, so the, the ending is the same, uh, but they're given different uh, physical roots here. Okay, uh, the first one's in chapter 2, verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's actually a positive for this church. There are two, uh, two encouraged, well, all the churches are encouraged. There are two that don't have negatives listed against them uh, of the seven churches, the other five. Uh, are negative and are being encouraged to stop doing those things. But this is a good one. They hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's included there because we're going to come back to the Nicolaitans in a minute. Uh, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We'll come back to the phrase synagogue of Satan as well, because it's not the first time that phrase is used. Uh, but you have those that are claiming to be something and are not. Uh, claiming to be Jews would matter. Uh, you still have Jews and uh, Gentiles trying to figure out the church thing here. That becomes less of a, that becomes less of an issue post fall of the temple where it's more of a Gentile thing and the Jews are off, split off in different directions. The loss of the temple is a big deal, a huge deal uh, for them uh, and for their their belief system. Uh, but at this point, you still have Jews and Gentiles trying to sort things out. And so having Jews come in, and we see this in the other New Testament letters, uh, having Jewish people come in who are genuinely, uh, in, in at least the early stages, genuinely wrestling with, what do we still keep Passover? Do we still keep these other feasts that we're supposed to? Do we still need to keep circumcision? Do we, genuinely wrestling with those things, because that's a part of their belief system, and now coming into Christianity does that remain? And so they think about those things. And then you have kind of a change of Jewish Christians that are really trying to keep as much uh, Judaism as possible uh, and leading people astray as a result of that, that Christ wants you to do these sorts of things. No, he did away with that, uh, but they're holding staunchly to it. So this is kind of the next level up of that, uh, of people that are claiming to be Jews so that they can get in and have these conversations, but are ultimately uh, said here to be of the uh, synagogue, the assembling uh, of Satan here. Okay, uh, the next one there, but I have a few things against you. You have some uh, there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay, the Nicolaitans, people that are existing at this time that this is being written here, uh, and 2.6 reference them as well. Uh, but the teaching of Balaam, it's not... I don't know that that's necessarily a like some uh, resurgence of we need to follow Balaam and what he has taught, like they're resurrecting his doctrine or something like that. Uh, this I would think, because of what's happening in this book, that this is more of a reference back to. Uh, for, for these Christians here, they would have this understanding of 
uh, the, the wilderness wanderings, all of those things, which is where Balaam, Balak, we're going to deal with all that. Uh, and so taking them back there to that, uh, to that time frame, uh, and again, we already said this, these things end up in the same place. Food sacrifice to idols, so idol worship and sexual immorality. Yeah, that's where false worship tends to go almost every time. Uh, wonder why. It's because idol worship just appeals to our base <laughs> wants and desires and things like that. Pursue them as recklessly as you would like. This tends to be what happens. Uh, food and sex, that tends to be where those things go. Okay, next one. Uh, but this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Surprise. Uh, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Uh, that's verses 20 and 24. The stuff in between just kind of expands on, well the uh, justice that's going to be brought to Jezebel and those that want to join in with her on all of this stuff, because God doesn't like evil. He's going to conquer those things. Uh, but here you have uh, one piece that's expanded on quite a bit. You have a woman, Jezebel, calls herself a prophetess. Okay, that idea of calling yourself something, we've already seen that, call themselves Jews, but are not. Calls herself a prophetess, teaching and seducing my ser servants for those two things, uh, idol worship, and sexual morality. Uh, and then later on, that's referred to as a teaching and the deep things of Satan. Because that's, again, uh, you, you cannot just have evil physical people. There's something behind that. And John's very clear about that. I'd say the Bible's pretty clear about that. Paul's extremely clear about that in Ephesians. That there is... Yes, this evil thing happening with this person, but there's something behind that. There's a motivating factor, motivating force, uh, bringing that stuff on. That's going to be true in Revelation. It's important that we hold on to that idea. Because when we get into all the weird bad guys, we need to understand that those things are connected to the physical, vice versa, all that. There's stuff going on in the spiritual world, uh, and that's being laid out here. Jezebel and her, just as a physical person, the things that she's teaching and encouraging, John is connecting that to a spiritual, deep things of Satan kind of idea. Uh, that these are teachings that are from or have their root in uh, demonic wisdom. That's what James will call it. So, anyway, see, it's all over the place. Go ahead. So is, it, so is it basically saying, I mean, what allowed this lady to be taken over by this behind-the-scenes of her being? I don't know that it's like a taken over thing necessarily, like uh, like a uh, possession or something well, like that, you know. Some kind of gain. I mean, I don't know if it's power for her, because obviously she's being viewed as prophetess. She's being given this important role. Uh, that power is appealing to people, and power is one of the things uh, that lets these evil forces find a way in to people's lives. That's still true. Uh, power is a big deal. It could be riches, stuff like that, though there's not really an indication of the riches part here. Uh, but that also tends to do it. Uh, when John talks about Judas, uh, he writes that uh, Satan was looking for this opportunity to enter into the heart of Judas. We know Judas had a real struggle with money, and he had an opportunity to get some money by selling Jesus out. Uh, and so that was 
the opportunity for the evil force, right? Uh, this desire for wealth. So that's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Go ahead. The Nicolaitans, what was their teaching specifically? I'm not entirely sure. Not entirely sure. I've if I had to guess, that, but I've never heard anybody say what was the teaching of the Nicolaitans. If I had to guess. It probably has something to do with idolatry and sexual morality, uh, ultimately. I'm not in exactly sure what the like the base teaching would be. That tends to be where all this stuff goes. Uh, the Gnosticism stuff that John dealt with, uh, that's where that ultimately went to, was uh, idolatry and sexual immorality. Uh, so I don't know what the base part of that is, but I will. It's not there. It's not there. I'm just curious. <laughs> it's not laid out for us in Revelation. It just says the Nicolaitans. There are thoughts too about is that such and such person that's mentioned in Acts? Like that's that's about as good as it gets from a lot of the stuff I've seen. But there may be something. They lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. Okay. So, which is as that began. Is that Google, Wikipedia? Look up the teachings of them in the Bible. Okay. Well, so just a quick quick search and all of that, but it unrestrained indulgence, go after whatever you want, which is going to be ultimately those two things. Jesus uh, puts away so many of the Old Testament things yeah. uh, in his early church. That's certainly a temptation for any group of people. There's no written scriptures other than just letters from apostles that right. around preaching. So anybody can say anything uh, unless the Holy Spirit shows with power right. that they're liars. Uh, I don't know why they bring Balaam. That's see, I think I think Balaam's coming up. Earlier. I think Balaam comes up for the same reason that Peter does what he does in his letters of uh, referring back to the Old okay. Testament idea to say I don't need to expound upon this. I'm just going to make the reference because you guys understand what that means. And, and then Jesus he just applies clear it. with that. He says that his whole ministry, uh, this prophecy is talking about me. If the prophecy mm -hmm. writes it and it's about me, then it's true. And that's a legitimate way to, to approach uh, first century, first generation, first decade Christians. Uh, what they know is that they saw Jesus alive, they saw him dead, they saw him yes. alive again, and he started a church. And the apostles are his witnesses and right. writing things and passing it around from church to church. But uh, I, I'm just curious. I've never heard anything more about the Nicolaitans. I'll, I'll look more in depth on that. Uh, and we'll talk about it with Bad Guys Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts? Go ahead. I had a thought, but I want you to get on with your deal. Maybe you'll touch on it later. But I was going to mention the Ephesians before you even said it. Okay. Because... When you're reading this, it, um, I think we, we, in modernity, removed a lot of the mystery out of this yeah. idea of, of who's ruling what. And the, the gift of the gospel is, is, in my understanding, is the gift of, of Christ's lordship over an individual. So you're transferred from one rule to another. And that, that I probably were talking about the same scripture in Ephesians. Where he says, you know, the ruler is is within these people that are being disobedient. Yeah. And I, from what I understand, you're going to touch on that again because that's that's what my question is. Is it seems as though we, we look at things as very rational, especially in the Church of Christ. You know, so we have a formula for 
everything you know five step five sure. acts of worship and it seems to me human consciousness is a lot more difficult yeah we, we like to have answers yes. uh for everything which and so, and so my, my question is uh when you said you were going to touch on further like are human beings are we at the mercy at times of these powers wasn't going to touch on it like that. What, I'm going to write this okay. down. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I think that'd be good. Yeah. Maybe we lead with some Ephesians stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, and next week. So, and if you're planning to no, later, good. just go on with your lesson. I just that's that, good. You brought it up, and, and I was thinking the same thing. So, or I thought I was thinking the same thing. No, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I, I do think Ephesians does a very good job of laying out that there is um, uh, force behind. Uh, behind what we might call the the thing that's working, like oh that individual is evil. Well, sure, they're they're doing evil things and all of this, but what is the what's the motivating thing behind all of that? Uh, and we're not talking about um, well, we're talking about demon work, not possession in the sense of what we read about in the New Testament, uh, but influence, which. There's demon possession and demon oppression uh, within the New Testament. Those are different things, but they're similar. Uh, I would certainly say oppression continues to exist uh, in some way, but we'll talk more about okay. that <laughs> next week because I think it's important with this. Okay, last one of false teachings. Uh, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Okay, there it's this encouragement, the things that you received and heard, these true teachings is the idea, not these false ones. Uh, hold to those things. Uh, and John uh, here, just in Revelation, is an eyewitness to these things. He's being told to write down what you see. Write all this stuff down. Uh, in his other writings, uh, Gospel and his letters, uh, he talks about being a, a witness, an eyewitness. Uh, here are these things that I've uh, seen and heard. You hold on to what you've received from us and heard. He talks about that a lot in First John. Uh, and so that idea is being brought up again here of you've received and heard the truth. Stay with that. Stay with the gospel. Stay with that message uh, because it's the faithful witnessing to that that is going to allow us to conquer the bad guys if we start to go into uh, bad belief and let that take us away. That's where we get into trouble. Okay. Paul will teach that uh, hold on to the traditions yes. that I taught you when I was there. He's already using the word traditions right. in the first century. I've taught you some things. Don't let other things be taught to you that are not from an inspired teacher. Then we go back to the Holy Spirit and indwelling those whose hands were laid on by the apostles. Right who were given gifts for the local church to help it grow and mature. Yeah, yeah, and John will actually uh, touch on a lot of that, at least as far as testing the spirits goes, to determine the truth and that uh, in First John 3 or 4, I think it's 4. Okay, next, let's talk about the devil slash Satan here as far as Revelation is concerned, uh, and as far as the letters in Revelation are concerned, and then we'll come to, at the end of this one, uh, a specific chapter that's dealing with 
uh, the devil slash Satan here. Uh, but in the letters, he's brought up a few times. Uh, we already read this verse. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a, are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, there's... I think this language is good. This is very, uh, Paul uses this kind of language too. The devil is about to throw you into prison. Okay, well, not actual devil himself, but he is the reason this stuff is occurring the way that it is. It's going to be other people uh, doing that work. And that's the idea. They, they equate those things as one and the same. Uh, these people that are opposed to God, opposed to God's people, they're doing the work of this other thing. Because you, you've got to pick an empire, you're on one side or the other. The teaching is about false teachers. Yeah. That's uh, very clear all through the New Testament. And yes. People who are doing something, lying about Jesus and his church in order to gain something and to lead people away. That's a part of this. In the fourth chapter of Acts, it talks about the synagogue of the freedmen. Yes. We don't talk about synagogues, but supposedly there were 900 synagogues in Jerusalem, a town of 150,000 people. We would call these denominations of Judaism, uh, especially now that the temple is gone. Right. The synagogue is where you go. That's where you're accepted or kicked out. That's right. where you're being led by political and social forces. Synagogues are a big deal, and he mentions here the synagogue of yeah uh, it's a it's a place of influence and so if you're uh, if you allow the teaching to go off you're going to be influencing people with with a teaching that doesn't belong to God but belongs to somebody else uh, therefore synagogue of Satan uh, okay next one there last one at the bottom of page one I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is that sounds bad uh, uh, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That's bad stuff for them. Uh, not, not exciting. Uh, you can imagine that the persecution is pretty bad in a place where Satan's throne is said to be you know, where he dwells. Satan goes all over the place as far as uh, how Peter describes it, uh, and as far, I think, you could say Job as well, as far as Job describes the activity of uh, the adversaries of God. But apparently this place is, uh, I don't know, Satan's uh, summer home. This is where he goes and antagonizes the Christian. Okay. And to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden. And the last one there, I don't know why I didn't bold this part. Uh, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Haven't read that verse yet, but we've read both of those phrases in different spots, and now they're getting uh, crammed together here. Those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Uh, and that lying, being associated with Satan, that's pretty obvious. You go to Genesis 3, that's just how that works. John, very specifically lays out Satan's deceit and lies and all of this throughout all of his writings. He, he very much comes for Satan in that way. So we'll have more to say about that, but first uh, we'll hit this a little chronologically. Revelation 9, turn over there, please. 
This is where we start getting into specific things. So there are three, there are two specifics that we're going to deal with here, uh, Abaddon and then uh, on page three we have more about Satan there in a separate chapter. And then there are three others that we'll need to discuss and we'll do that next week, hopefully. And whatever we don't cover today, I guess. We're doing okay. All right. Uh, Abaddon, starting in... Starting in verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses, horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings and stings like scorpions, and their power is to hurt people for five. And the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called uh, Apollyon. I'm not sure that either of those is the right way to say that, but that's okay. All right, uh, there is there is some amount of discussion about this actually because it seems. Uh, there's an argument to be made that this is actually a positive figure uh, because it doesn't mess with, uh, only messes with the people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead, so he's not messing with God's people here and all of this. Uh, and then there's question as to whether this is actually a bad individual um, for some of the other listings that are here. So it's included on this paper. Do with that what you will, I suppose. Okay, let's talk about who we're talking about here. Uh, this star fallen from heaven is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit is listed by two names, one Hebrew and one Greek. That's why we have both of these names here uh, and is later called the angel of the abyss in 9 uh, and 11. Okay, uh, I'm gonna, uh, we'll just ask this question here. So it's not just that we're given two names or like normally you'd get a footnote or something like that. But John in his writing writes, in Hebrew he's called this, in Greek it's called this, which is weird. It's weird to write that down so specifically. Why do that? And I don't really have a, I don't know that I have an answer for this. Well, in a synagogue, at least you're going to have a, a much read in Hebrew, so that's a name that they would recognize. Okay, but yeah. the New Testament is being written in Greek, in the common language at the time uh, was Greek, Koine Greek, of course. But uh, so there's, and, and I guess because of the Septuagint as well, okay, and the familiarity yeah. with the Greek. So maybe that's a, a reason. Okay, sure. So we have a lot of we have Greek being the the spoken language, and this is ultimately at least as far as Bible readers are concerned, there's a very Old Testament idea with this name. Uh, but most people are speaking Greek, so provide both so that the Hebrew writer understands this is a reference to something, 
and maybe that the Greek readers understand there's an Old Testament idea here too. Okay, what else? There's probably a teaching from 4th century B.C. Greek from the Greek pantheon of gods that this would allude to because it brings up the specific Greek allusion to the name as well as worth mentioning. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's uh, a good idea as well that this is a concept and we'll talk about it here in a minute because both of these names mean basically the same thing so there's not any there's not a real uh, that that's not the reason that you would provide both because it's a word defined the same I, and i know nothing about this is all new to me but okay. the, could could it be because he's dealing with an issue that involves apparently oh jews, maybe jews and and uh i have no idea but you're you're, you're Talking, talking about these, these liars in the synagogue yeah. or whatever. I mean, maybe, yeah, yeah. It could be a language deal. It could be our our, our audience. Uh, I think there's probably an an, an idea of a uh, god that would fit into uh, this this perspective here uh, for the Greek people, and so drawing on the Greek idea, but also letting them know this is not just a Greek idea. It's an Old Testament idea that exists. So there's a little bit of both things going on here. Okay, any other thoughts about this? I feel like that it's a, a he's emphasizing the importance. I mean, it, he's making a point. He doesn't do that. I mean, as you said, it's it's rare that he does that, that anybody does that. Yeah. I mean, it, but whenever, like when Jesus would repeat things or say, you know, back and forth, it was a, it was an idea of importance. In this case, it's almost like he's repeating it, but he's making sure to repeat it in two different languages, which is... Uh, almost, I mean, just maybe it's just an emphasis on this is really important. Everybody needs to understand this, no matter what language you're speaking or reading this in. Okay, yeah. So uh, repetition, even though the even though different is used here, repeating and then making sure that every everybody is covered uh, as far as language goes. You okay. have the answer, right? Uh, I mean, I think those are good answers. No, that's that's I what my that's answer that's is. Like historical, the older churches. Understand the older one and the newer ones that they're reaching, or maybe perhaps sure. this new one, and so it's important. Yeah, uh, it's an idea that ultimately exists for both of these languages, but maybe uh, so. So it's not a new idea, but maybe not everybody understands uh, the old roots that it has. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, this word shows up in the Old Testament a few times. Let's talk about it, uh, and then we'll have a question about it. I think. How much time do I have? We'll ask a question about it. Okay. Uh, Abaddon means destruction. Apollyon means destroyer or destruction. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. It's the same idea. The Hebrew word shows up five different times in the Old Testament that I could find anyway, five different times there. There might be more. There's definitely not less. Uh, and here they are. Uh, three in Job, one in Psalm, one in Proverbs, which... Just right off the bat, uh, all five of these references are all out of wisdom literature, so that's interesting. Uh, Shoal is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. Just hold on destruction there when you see Abaddon. Uh, Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. Uh, and then Job 31 for that. Speaking of sexual immorality, but the, larger, the chapter at large is about sin, and then Job stops talking. Uh, is how that chapter ends. Uh, for that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon, and it would burn root to all, burn to the root all my increase. Psalm eighty-eight verse eleven, and 
Uh, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? And then Proverbs 15, 11, Shoal and Abaddon lie before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. Okay. What do you notice about the Old Testament references? Yeah, okay, so we include we include Shoal, the grave, here. Uh, in it's all but one of them, right? Yeah, Job 31 doesn't really, and I looked because the chapter doesn't really deal with that idea at all explicitly, but he's dealing with sin and what would happen as a result of sin, and so I think he can make the argument that the grave is present there. But these other places, you have Sheol or the grave, which is that word, or what that word represents. Uh, it's the place where the dead go, because their, their thought process about uh, life after death is not the same as ours. Uh, it is one of the, in the same way that their thought about sacrifice is not the same as ours. Uh, there is a there is a progression to all of that when they go from Old Testament into New Testament. Uh, and so in our Old Testament passages, you have a lot of this idea of the, the dead go to this place. Well, the, but the good dead go here and the bad dead, they don't really have that idea early on. It's the dead go to this place. Um, that changes as time goes on, though. Go ahead. What I think is really cool about that, yeah, is, and it's and it is all, not just people. It's if you look at Ecclesiastes, even all all the living, all of creation, yeah, yeah. Go, goes to you know the righteous, the unrighteous, the creation that they all go to show. Right. And personally, I don't even think that the Jews believed in an, in an immortal soul, but but uh, uh, I think in the sense that possessed soul. I sure. Think, I think body, spirit equals soul. Yeah. But that being said, what's interesting to me and what's cool about about when they talk about uh, <coughs> is that what makes it so bad is it it separates you from God. So when the psalmist says, How can I worship you from from the grave? Yeah. And so there's this sense that what's terrible about the grave is not dying, it's that I can no longer worship God. Yep. Hey, which is why hell is bad. The separation yes. from God and why heaven's good. Just clearing that out. It's not because there's... Listen, Mansion Over Hilltop is not a bad song as far as like the song part goes. But man, it sounds kind of... It does sound kind of whiny, you know. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm going off on a side thing here about all that. That's not why heaven's great. Uh, it's great because we'll be in God's presence. And that's why death is bad. We're separated. Go ahead. Question yeah. I had earlier that yeah. too, that I didn't ask, but are they understanding the separation from God at this point when they're reading this letter when they're talking about death and stuff? Yeah. As far as like eternal life and all yeah. those sorts of things, uh, yeah, th that would be a lot more understood by them they by this point. At this yeah. Point, yeah. I was kind of curious. Yeah, they would they would have a much better understanding of that concept, um, even if they just read John's Gospel before all this, which would have been available to them because uh, John John very heavily talks about eternal life all those things and revelation will end that way too uh, about these uh, eternal life eternal death kind of ideas okay so we have the grave mentioned here and all of that I really hope we're not seeing mansion over hilltop today either because I just <laughs> I just attack the song I don't I don't think it's a bad song but that's not why heaven's great is because the street of gold and all this, isn't that cool? Yeah, great. It's great because God's there. 
Uh, and just like in the Old Testament, they understood that there's this, they, they don't, they have this desire to be with God, not separated from him. Uh, we get the ultimate uh, togetherness in heaven. We get the ultimate separation uh, as far as hell goes, but that's another, it's another discussion. Okay. Keeping in mind that in Genesis 1 and 1, it says Elohim came from someplace else, not the universe. Not the universe that was, was being created at that, that point. Not a physical place, not our planet, not here, but from somewhere else. The concept of heaven comes at the very beginning of, of, of Genesis and doesn't end until we go back and to be with God there in the last part of <coughs> Revelation. But uh, people thinking, of, uh, they didn't think of all the scientific stuff we, we're fixated on now. Sure. One of the false atheisms of today is that we are just a tiny part of a universe. The reality is God created a mud ball, made it where life could exist, named it Earth, and put us there. That is the, the story of, of Revelation of God speaking to us is about what happens <coughs> the rest of that stuff. Uh, it says yeah. that the glory of God is shown by the infinite heavens. Yes. But his workings are shown by what he has done, creating a place where life could exist on this planet. Uh, the heavens are somewhat of a uh, very, very nebulous place. Yeah. Only we cannot know anything about the heavens, and we're not talking about the atmosphere. I put right, miles high from Washington D.C. to get home right. today, but that's not the heavens. It's a it's a concept that's, that develops for them as as time goes on. That's a blanket of stuff that people could breathe. I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep moving because we gotta we gotta finish talking about this guy, and I want to talk more about Satan, which is a weird sentence to say out loud, uh, but I do want to talk about him. Okay. Uh, wisdom, this is all wisdom literature, which is interesting. Wisdom literature by genre, like it is, it is poetic, it is meant to be poetic. Uh, and that includes Job. Job is also met, is written in a very poetic way. We kind of miss that because we read the first few chapters and the last few chapters. <laughs> but if you were, we read all of Job together, we see that that poetry as it goes through in its writing. This is all wisdom literature. Uh, where these references are. <clears throat> so, if you have questions like, so is Abaddon a place? Because Shoal is at least a, a uh, place term. The, the dead go here to this. So is that true of Abaddon as well? And the answer would be, this was in literature. So the, the idea of metaphor is fine here uh, with all of this. That there's a place where the dead go, there's a place of destruction, that sort of thing. It's not that they're separate places or the same, uh, but this idea of death and destruction are paired together. Okay, that may have brought up more questions for you. That's great. Pursue those things. Uh, look, for, look for this word a little more and go check out these references uh, in a little more context. Okay, uh, we have the language of the star fallen from heaven. I don't know that we're going to actually get to talk about Satan at the end. What a bummer. <laughs> uh, the language of star fallen from heaven is not unique to Revelation, nor is it unique to uh, what, I, what I meant to say. Not unique to the Bible. It's not unique or Revelation to the Bible or to this culture because other religious cultures also have this idea of Stars being representative of 
celestial beings, spiritual beings, that sort of stuff. Those, um, what's the word? Uh, constellations. Things like that would be representative of things, beings, all of that. They would look up and see the brighter stars and go, oh, that's such and such god or goddess. That was, that was how they reconciled those ideas. That's not just a... That's not just language that we find in the Bible. That is also language we find outside of the Bible and other uh, religious things. Okay. In many religious, religious beliefs, stars or planets were given names or said themselves uh, to be gods that watched over the earth. That's what they're called anyway. Biblically speaking, here's a few Old Testament references. Deuteronomy 17 verse 3 forbids the worship of other gods or the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven. And so we have this idea of the nations you're going to be interacting with are going to worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the host of heaven, all this sort of thing. Don't worship those things. Uh, Amos 5.26 refers to Kiyun. I don't know. The, your star god. <laughs> so it's the, the name of a specific god connected to some star for this religious belief here. Uh, 2 Kings 17 talks about Israel uh, worshiping all the host of heaven and serving uh, Baal uh, as well there. And Acts 7.43 seems to quote this, but Acts 7 gives a different name. Uh, Raphon, the star god and all of this, which is interesting. We'll talk more about that later. Maybe. I don't know. That's a, it's, it's an interesting thing uh, that the New Testament quote has a little bit of a change, but that happens a lot. A lot more than we realize. Uh, Jeremiah 8, 1 and 2 speaks of the kings of Judah as having loved and served and sought and worshipped the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven. And so this idea of stars being spiritual beings, that's it's all throughout. Uh, Isaiah 14, I think I'll read it because we have, we have time maybe. I don't know. I'm already committed. I'm heading that way. Isaiah 14... Uh, 11 through 16, here's what it says. Your pomp is brought down to shoal, the sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. It's, oh, it's an awful verse. Uh, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to shoal to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Okay, and there's more to say there. Um, this, the, there's something like this that happens in Ezekiel 2, and I think I have that reference, yeah, on the top of page 3. Uh, there's something like this that happens in Ezekiel as well, talking about the nation of Tyre, uh, but it doesn't appear to be literally talking about the king of Tyre, but rather an, a judgment against something else, probably Satan, uh, that elevated itself in a position it shouldn't have and was humbled and humiliated by God. That's what's going to happen here too. The nation that Isaiah is targeting in chapter 14 is Babylon, which is the name for the bad empire in the book of Revelation. So our exile connections continue to, to exist. Uh, with Babylon, they continue to connect with even ideas of stars being thrown down from heaven. All right, we're going to talk about Satan next week and then three other things uh, that are bad guys.
so keep this paper with you because he's on this one. Uh, and then we'll have another paper with, with the other things on there. Sorry to end with just bad guy stuff. Remember last week when we talked about conquering evil? Don't lose that part. Uh, that's how this stuff ends. Okay, thanks everybody.